This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Momwell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome author and angel investor Leslie Schrock to the show. Leslie wrote Bumpin' the Modern Guide to Pregnancy and has recently released her second book, Fertility Rules. Her work has been featured in NPR, Time, The Economist, and today I've invited her to talk about preparing your body for pregnancy. For so long, fertility has been treated as just a women's health issue, and I find it so fascinating when Leslie shares about how about half of infertility cases are due to male infertility. She discusses how partners can get involved in preparing for pregnancy. We discuss why supplements aren't always helpful in preparing your body for pregnancy and how the supplement industry has gained a lot of attention because there's a lot of money to be made, but not many regulations in place. And we talk about how to navigate secondary infertility and why it can be such a common experience for parents. For years, Leslie has worked at the Convergence of Health and Technology And I love that she brings the conversation of fertility to both men and women. And I love that she opens and broadens the fertility conversation to include partners, which has been a missing piece for a really long time. Before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Candice and it's titled, Thank You. I can cry as I'm writing this review because this podcast has walked me through the darkest time of my life. I suffered from postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression with my third child that started when he was two months old. The guilt I felt every day for my intrusive thoughts. The anxiety I felt upon waking up every morning. My life felt gloomy. It literally seemed like the sun didn't shine the same. It was as if I was in a shadow. This podcast helped me understand what I was going through physically, chemically, emotionally. It made me feel like I wasn't alone and gave me hope that I would feel better. It helped me give myself grace and now I'm 15 months postpartum still learning so much and there's weeks that the new podcast hit the nail on the head for what I'm going through. I'm so thankful I found this podcast. And I want to mention, I found it through attending groups at Postpartum Support International for postpartum support. I always suggest it to any new mom I see struggling, regardless of if they've been diagnosed. I just want to thank you, Erica. Just hearing your voice in the intros soothes me. Sending love, grace, and healing from Connecticut. Love, Candice. I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) But in all seriousness, this is why I started this podcast, because if I, as somebody who has a decade's worth of experience in this field and seven years of education, was blindsided by postpartum depression and anxiety and couldn't figure out what in the heck was going on with me, then the broad public going through this experience does not have the information that they need to know what is going on and to know how to seek the help. So thank you so much, Candice, for sharing your story with us and for leaving that review. Let's hear this week's episode with Leslie. When was the last time you truly felt like yourself? If you're not sure about the answer, it's time to think about your mental health. As moms, we often put ourselves on the back burner. From the moment our babies are born, our days and nights are full of responsibility, leaving it hard to sleep well, eat properly, exercise, or take care of ourselves. The more we neglect our own needs, the worse our mental health can become, leading to depression, anxiety, or other mental health struggles. But your mental health matters. We know you're busy. So we make it as simple as possible to connect with a therapist. Our qualified maternal mental health specialists are here to support moms across Canada and the United States. It's time to put yourself back on the priority list. Find out if we serve your area and book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell Podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. 
I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know when we were messaging back and forth, I attributed our meeting and crossing paths to Amazon and Amazon's recommendation of your book. I was so happily surprised to stumble upon you and your platform. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I came across Bumpin', your first pregnancy book, where walking you through all the things you wouldn't know or aren't really talked about. And I started diving through your bio, like, what is your background and what do you do? I'm so curious how your tech background intersects with motherhood and how you found your way into this parenting kind of author space. So I've spent over a decade of my life now working in health, kind of at the convergence of health and technology. So working with companies that are really trying to improve healthcare for everybody across every life stage, not just parenting. But one of the companies that was really formative for me was Maven. I was their first advisor when they were just getting started. They were the first billion dollar company in women's health. And it was really interesting to kind of follow along and be part of that journey because they challenged the traditional system quite a lot. So saying that, you know, more coordinated care teams were necessary, that doing it alone was not how this journey is supposed to be, which I'm sure for any parent on here, I mean, I can certainly speak for myself. You just need a lot of humans to help out along the journey. You need your tribe, you need your village. And so when it came time for me to start my family, I had all of these incredible resources. I had all of this knowledge from all of these years of work, you know, working with providers and working with all of these really smart people. And then I got pregnant right away. And then I had a miscarriage. Mm. And I was shocked. You know, it was an early miscarriage. It was like five, six weeks. And then I got pregnant again two weeks later. I had no idea Mm. that that was possible. But, you know, my body took care of it. And then here I was pregnant again. And that second pregnancy was really the one that made me into, you know, the person I think I am now and certainly motivated my journey to becoming an author because I found out when I did, you know, my NIPT that we had a chromosomal abnormality called trisomy 18. It is fatal. Mm. And we knew from, you know, the ultrasound even that it was not a pregnancy that was going to make it very much longer, but because we found it and it had not actually ended on its own. I had to have an abortion. Mm. And it was an absolutely kind of like brain explosion moment for me because I had never even considered that I would need an abortion for a very wanted pregnancy. Yeah. And so that was really kind of what inspired me to write Bump. And I also looked around at a lot of the other books and, you know, on the shelf. I read everything. I'm a very voracious reader. And I just kept feeling like, you know, there was either too much conjecture, like trying to find answers where there were none, Hmm. or too much information as in like every single possible thing that could go wrong medically without all of the practical context. And so Hmm. really what motivates me is making the journey feel a little easier, a little friendlier, but also arming you with all of the evidence that we have while acknowledging what we don't know. And then mixing in practical advice sourced from medical providers, from parenting experts, therapists, personal trainers, nutritionists, to really build this holistic view. Because we all know that it's not just nine months. There's time before, there's time after, there's second pregnancies for many people, third. So that's a bit about me and how I came to this journey. But it's been an absolute privilege Hmm. every minute. The tone of the book is really like, 
having a glass of wine with a girlfriend, having some really just solid conversation, like it feels very approachable and relatable where, you know, different tones come in different angles, either very academic or however. So it felt very relatable in that way, much like the conversations you want to have or you hope you would have with friends and family leading up to motherhood that you don't get to have or that don't get brought up, right? Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. That was the goal. When not everyone has a community around them. Some people find themselves the first of their friends to have children. And some find themselves, you know, having a third and no one around them has a third and knows how to, you know, navigate that. And so, you know, no matter what your journey is, it's going to be a little bit different. But my goal is to really give people frameworks to make decisions that feel right for their family, Mm -hmm. not to tell them what to do. Yeah. And thank you for sharing about the the experience that you had on your journey to motherhood, because I feel like there's a, a lot of narratives out in the world right now. And I come from a Christian evangelical background, found myself as a clinician and an advocate sort of at this intersection of women's rights and healthcare and maternal mental health and have been like trusted and brought behind closed doors conversations and situations where a lot of the abortions or the healthcare that happens is for very wanted pregnancies or yeah. is for, you know, uh, fetuses that might not be viable and things. So it's an important point, I think, to asterisk that, like, that is the most devastating thing for you to go through. And then layer on red tape to try and get the care that you need it would have been a whole additional layer. I was incredibly lucky that at the time I lived in California and I was able to access that care because no part of me wanted to go through that. But I think that, you know, we have a narrative about abortion that is very based in a woman's right to choose. And I believe that that is absolutely essential. But I also believe there are many cases where it's actually not a choice. Yeah. You know, it is just healthcare. So I'm really happy to hear that you're in those conversations. It's really important that we get everyone's viewpoints and we find a way to really talk across political lines and and religious lines about this reality, because it was the hardest thing I've ever been through. It was absolutely devastating. So I'm thrilled that you're part of this conversation too. And I'm thinking about your newest book release and Fertility Rules and thinking about fertility and how hard people can work to get pregnant and to have embryos take and do all of these things and then still be faced with decisions like this. Like it's a very complicated nuanced conversation that is not black and white. And this is something that I think I've learned and been massaged through just experiences with people and being up close to the real stories of what, you know, my clients go through or clients in our community. So yeah, really important. And and thanks for sharing that. Okay. Bumping came out kind of like this evidence-based girlfriend kind of being your guide sort of tone, very like approachable did really well. And then Fertility Rules comes along. Tell me about how the birth of your newest book came about. Well, I like to tell people that it's a prequel to Bumpin' to answer all of the questions that I've had over the years from readers and friends. I'm like pregnancy Siri for all of my friends at this point <laughs> and strangers. I get a lot of you know questions and notes from readers on, especially on Instagram, really to answer the question, both for myself and everyone else, what can I do before? Hmm. What can I do to prepare my body for pregnancy? What can I do to, you know, go into pregnancy with a healthy body, a healthy mind, and also invite men to take a seat at the table? Because I think that what we're seeing with Gen Z especially is that men want to be more involved fathers and partners But really, it's very difficult. Even those who want to be are often kind of, you know, held at arm's length in the process. Like, you know, during COVID, men were not allowed in, you know, partners were not allowed in medical appointments. We're past that now. But I think that there are so many ways that, you know, people can bond during the preconception process. And men's health is absolutely critical in forming a healthy pregnancy. And I think there's a lot that people don't actually understand about that. Half of all infertility is due to issues in men's bodies. Yeah. That this is it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing on your social and on your platforms. And I was like, wait, <laughs> we have to have this conversation because I work with moms day in and day out who are like doing everything they possibly can, restricting yeah. everything, tracking everything, so hyper vigilant. And yet this percentage sits with partners. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Well, and I think that listen, we don't talk about it. 
We all know that there's a big problem with reproductive health education. There really isn't much given to kids when they're young. Girls learn a little bit about their periods, but really it's, you know, either abstinence-based or it's, well, you just, you know, you can get pregnant any day of the month, so please just don't do it. I mean, the, the stories are just crazy and that this has persisted. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Texas. I know that I was given very little information but it hasn't really changed that much. And if girls are given no information, boys are given essentially zero. Mm. Men don't grow up knowing anything about their sperm health. They don't understand that it's important. They don't understand what they can do to fix it. And men have very complicated relationships with the healthcare industry, meaning that they do not access care unless things are pretty desperate because we have these very complicated you know, views on masculinity and toughing it out. And this leads men to often, you know, avoid healthcare until they maybe even just have trouble conceiving. And that is the first point, you know, that many seek care. But the problem is you wouldn't know with a lot of, you know, infertility with, with men until you just can't have a baby. Because most of these things like a varicocele, which are the swollen veins in the testicles, they're otherwise asymptomatic. So really, mm. my goal with this book is number one, to give everyone kind of an encyclopedia of everything that they should know about their bodies and fertility, but also make sure that men and women understand each other's bodies and what is true and what is not. Because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there from you know birth control to supplements to a lot of people cheating families out of thousands and thousands of dollars for things that just don't work. Mm hmm. I'd love for us to hop into some of those myths, but to reflect on this masculinity piece, there is something here where it's like my sperm swim kind of this like it weaves into this unhealthy masculinity of like somehow this plays into our manhood in some real macho kind of way. And maybe on the flip side, if we're going through fertility struggles, we might question sort of our femininity and like we're born to be able to do this. And these are things I hear moms say as well, right? Like this is my body should do this and I should be able to do these things. But there is like a macho sort of unhealthy representation of masculinity. I think that really is a barrier here that gets in the way. It absolutely is. And I have a lot of empathy for men who are struggling with infertility because Women have a lot more platforms. We have each other. We're a lot more open typically with our family and friends. Men are not necessarily known to be great communicators about their feelings in general in comparison. Mm. And they don't have the same kinds of forums. You know, there are some Reddit forums where infertile men can go. But what I've learned through the research and interviews with providers and interviews with men who have undergone this is that oftentimes it remains a secret. Even men who are in a couple who, you know, undergo uh, infertility treatments, IVF, one of the funny things that has happened to me on several occasions now is I've been at a dinner, you know, with a couple that I know, and the husband will kind of sidle up to me and say, I have to tell you something. And I say, what, what, what do you want to tell me? And they say, it was me. Hmm. And I say, it was you. What, <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> right. And they say, it was me. I was the reason it was my sperm quality. And oftentimes these are second time fathers. Hmm. So, you know, what can happen, especially, and I think we're going to talk about secondary infertility in a little bit, but yeah, often what happens is something changes. Some lifestyle factor changes for men in the time between, you know, a first and second or a second and third child that does actually impact their sperm enough that they are then unable to conceive without assistance. But, mm. you know, I do have to say, I think one of the primary pieces of kind of misinformation or maybe just missing information out there for couples right now is that we have this delightful narrative about eggs. It's all about the egg. The right. egg is everything. The egg is all that matters. It's 50% egg, 50% sperm. It's 50% men. It's 50% women. Hmm. Once an egg is done, you can't fix it. There's no supplement you can take to fix the chromosomally abnormal eggs. You have more chromosomally abnormal eggs as you age, no matter what you do. For men, men experience age-related fertility decline as well. Hmm. Men have issues they may not know about. But unlike women who are born with all the eggs they will ever have, men regenerate sperm constantly. And for men making lifestyle adjustments can often mean that you can conceive naturally. Hmm. You can reverse much of what's wrong with sperm. And so it's yet another reason, you know, I think that we don't test and treat male fertility 
much at all. There aren't really enough providers. Men don't seek the care, even if they are tested during an infertility investigation. You know, because of where we are, they are often not actually treated for what's going on. Merely the absence or presence of sperm is enough information. So we just have a lot of work to do there. Fertility is not women's health. It is human health. And, you know, I'm tired of watching women shoulder the burden for this. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I think that's one of the biggest sort of myths out the gate to address. It's like, this is not just a woman's issue, right? Like I think about clients who are doing all the hormones and doing all the shots. And like, I had a close girlfriend went through this process and like her partner wasn't even like turning up to appointment, like totally like kind of absent from the process. So not only did she carry the whole burden of the actual physical appointments and the physical hormones and the physical trying and all of that. But then the emotional and the invisible load that comes along with this that partners are, you know, sometimes showing up for and a part of and other times completely absent from. And so it is a big myth to bust to say that this is just a a women's issue. And I'm like flabbergasted that it's such a men's, men's issue as well. And what you're saying about how it's like regenerative, like there could be a lot of successful outcomes then if there are changes that can be made there's a lot of progress then that can be made or things that can be adjusted. Well, I mean, today, the average number of cycles that it takes to have a live birth, IVF cycles, is three. Just imagine if we got ahead of this, perhaps that number would be one or two. Hmm. If we got men's health or maybe, you know, intracervical insemination, intrauterine, intravaginal insemination, perhaps there are less interventionist approaches that would work really well for people if we would just get to the bottom of men's, you know, sperm health and overall health, frankly. Yeah. But because, you know, listen, like it's a for-profit industry, it's really tough. It lives very much outside of the bounds of traditional healthcare because it's a cash pay business. And so it's incredibly important for people to be able to advocate for themselves and to demand that their partners be tested if that is not the standard of care. If you're at a clinic and they're not testing your partner up front, you should probably go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a good sort of first takeaway. And 
When we think about going through the research and writing the book and encountering these myths, what were some of the other ones that came out for you that just, you know, were surprising or? I I think one thing, you know, and it's true in pregnancy too, I think we are so wired to want solutions that, you know, we're we're wired to want like an easy solution to a problem. Like take a Mm. pill, your problem is solved. I think one of the drivers of, you know, this book, there's an entire chapter on supplements, right? An entire chapter on supplements and an entire chapter on nutrition. Because what I've seen is that we have a very kind of black and white conversation about both of these areas. Supplements can work magic. They're magical pills. They're great. You know, I see all of these influencers on on the internet pushing all of these like hormone balancing supplements, all this craziness. Mm. And the truth is we don't really have the clinical evidence that very much of it works. Mm -hmm. And also if you have like a problem with your fallopian tubes, a blockage, some physical issue, there is no supplement you can take to fix that. So I think what's happening right now is that a lot of people are looking to supplements to really solve their problems instead of going to work with a provider to make sure that something else is not wrong. It's become this band-aid for issues that may not actually be solvable. In addition, there's very little clinical evidence that you know universally any supplements work that well for anybody. So the only supplement you should really be taking as a person who's trying to conceive, and this is men and women, is a prenatal vitamin. That's it. Mm. Folic acid is very, folate is very important. Folic acid is the synthetic version that's in most prenatals. Folate occurs naturally in foods, but men and women should be taking a prenatal vitamin in the months before they try to conceive. Ideally three, perhaps even six. It's great. Mm. Whenever you want to get started with that, it's a great time to start because it's basically just a multivitamin with some extra ingredients in it. Men can also just take a multivitamin and that's usually enough. But they do make men's prenatals now, which are specially formulated. So I always, you know, recommend that. And there are some great brands out there with good sourcing practices. Mm-hmm. But you know, even CoQ10, which everybody takes, everybody takes CoQ10 now. The evidence is pretty thin. But the good news with CoQ10 and the reason that I suggest it for most people is there are some psychological effects to taking supplements too. Mm-hmm. Like the placebo mm-hmm. effect is real. CoQ10 doesn't cause side effects. It doesn't interact with pharmaceutical drugs. It doesn't cause any other, you know, big issues that we know of. And so if people want to take those two things, great. But I think what gets ignored often is that nutrition plays a huge role in fertility and overall health. Hmm. And that fertility is just a reflection of your overall health. I don't know how you feel about this. I mean, do you think that we make it easy for couples to feel successful with their diets, with nutrition? No. And I also feel like we have such a complex relationship with food in our bodies by the time we enter a conversation about fertility, I think, that there's so much psychologically we're bringing to the table as well. Because as a therapist who sees, you know, the psychology behind a lot of things, our relationships with food are often not so much about fundamentally what we're feeding ourselves of our body and more about how we're feeling and how, you know, how we're engaging with our food. And is it social and is it relational and is it, you know, all of these things. So I think that it's an interesting conversation because our relationship with food can be on any kind of place in this continuum approaching fertility. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I don't know if you flipped through that chapter yet, but that's exactly (laughs) what I talk about, which is that We have this narrative, like if you go look up a fertility diet on the internet, it's like, you must eat salmon and berries and nuts. And you know what? Some people don't like salmon. Some people's dietary preferences, cultural preferences and backgrounds do not accommodate that. And I think the fertility industry is frankly so monoculture that it's just not equitable. It's not easy for people to feel successful. Mm. And so what I tell people and what I've realized is probably the right way for most people to manage their diets in general, because it is a marathon, not a sprint. This shouldn't just be something that you're doing in order to get pregnant. Like for women, they need to sustain Mm. a healthy diet through their pregnancy too. It's just follow the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, if you can eat a diet based on whole foods, eat less processed foods, organic if you can, if that's an option for you, but really trying to be moderate and then leaving 20% of the time to enjoy the foods that you like Mm -hmm. in a moderate way. 
But, you know, like, I don't really like salmon that much. I certainly don't really like cooked salmon that much, but I try to eat it. It's fine. But I've found other ways to get those nutrients in my diet. I eat a lot of eggs. You know, I think that we have to make people feel comfortable finding ways to do this in a way that feels good for them. Mm -hmm. But there are the, you know, 80-20 Mediterranean diet is great. Like the basic principles and frameworks there, I think are really good. But I'm sure that this is something that comes up in your practice a lot too. Food is also intertwined with your body Mm -hmm. and your body image and your weight. And that was a very difficult thing to write about because the truth is if you're underweight or you're overweight, according to BMI, there are different challenges. And it just is because Mm -hmm. body fat is an endocrine organ. It changes the way your hormones function. Mm -hmm. So if you're underweight, you may not ovulate. If you're overweight, you can have other issues. Neither one is necessarily going to preclude you from getting pregnant, but they are going to cause some kind of issue probably at some point in the process. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm very bullish on this more 80-20, just eat the foods you like and then just be moderate the rest of the time Mm -hmm. and use this as a way to get through these early years and later as parents too, because like, my God, you, you have to keep, you have to keep a healthy body and a healthy mind when you're parenting young kids, mine are two and four. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a marathon. It's not just like a crash course cleanse. Like it reminds me of the Kourtney Kardashian and Travis doing their like ritual cleanse when she was like going to start to like freeze her eggs. You may not watch reality TV. Anyways, it was this whole ordeal and only eating these things. And it was like, it was a crash course to try and like quickly clean up our bodies for like this freezing of embryos. And this is where the conversation around all of these changes, I don't know, it just brings up this theme that I see in my practice and in our community because postpartum anxiety is a thing, but also anxiety through fertility and anxiety in pregnancy is also a thing. And when we are anxious about something, like we've got, you know, worries and something preoccupying our mind kind of maybe elevated beyond our baseline. But then we have like really distinctly anxious, like cannot really think about anything else, really feeling very desperate to make this happen, very preoccupied with it. And I mean, rightfully so in a lot of cases, and there's loss and there's trauma, there's lots of things mixed into this journey, right? But what happens is we start to want to pull on any of the levers that we can control to feel like we can move this vehicle forward or get to this destination that we want to go to. And so I sit back with clients and have to kind of see where this is becoming like, kind of like emotionally like torture for us, you know? And you had made some comments where it's like, If you just did all the right things, like that is not a guarantee for you. And if you did all the right things and it didn't work, it's not your fault. There's a piece of this here because I don't know, there's just so much anxiety and it can be so all consuming and I hear it from clients and it's a lot to manage the responsibility and feeling like you've got to nitpick and put yourself under the microscope to such a degree that you cannot like breathe or function and feeling so much responsibility when sometimes the responsibility isn't even on you from what we've been talking about. Yeah. And perfection is not a reasonable goal for most people. And frankly, it shouldn't really be a goal for anyone. Mm -hmm. Humans need a little bit of grace. I mean, we need to give each other and give ourselves a little grace. Having, I had three pregnancy losses in total. I had a lot of self-blame. I went through grief counseling. I went through Mm -hmm. a lot of work on myself to make peace with what had happened because you know of course of course i said oh scrambled eggs oh god i waited too long to have kids oh god yeah. it must be my fault and it wasn't it wasn't my fault meiotic errors in eggs happen as you age it's not my fault there's nothing i could have done differently other than perhaps having children earlier in life but mm-hmm. i hadn't met my husband at that point you know that's a it's a question that people ask me a lot that sometimes i kind of resent like hmm. do you just wish you'd had children earlier and i say well, I wouldn't have had children with anyone that I was with earlier. Right. And also, you know, even though my journey was very difficult and very, you know, as you say, all consuming and, you know, just hard, I have two wonderful kids now. And I think I wake up every day with kind of special respect for my role as a parent and like a love for them that is very different had I not struggled. Mm-hmm. You know, would I go back and do it again? 
Preferably not, but Mm -hmm. I feel so fortunate when I look at them. But that's actually a common thing too. I'm sure that you run across this in your practice. It's something I interviewed a lot of reproductive endocrinologists, fertility doctors, who really talk about how anxiety is such a big piece of navigating infertility and it trickles into pregnancy. If you've had one loss, you know, it's very hard not to look for another. And then it also goes into parenting. Infertility patients often have a lot of anxiety as parents, both postpartum, but even into, you know, early childhood. And I think that we don't talk about that. And I also think it's kind of difficult to talk about it if you've never been through it. Mm -hmm. which is one reason that I try to be very open about my experience. You know, if you've never had a miscarriage, it can be hard to understand why someone goes to the bathroom and has like a surge of anxiety every time they're in there, like every time you wipe, because you're just looking for bad news. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, that's the nuanced piece about it here is like, There are parts of going through fertility struggles that come with anxiety that is like inherent to the situation. And that's not to be like pathologized because it makes sense that we're going through this. And then there's also, is this disrupting your life in a way that you're not functioning? And like finding that line for practitioners can be really difficult. Yeah. I had had an early miscarriage between my second and my third. And I was just like, am I getting punked? Like, am I being duped? Is I, did I read the stick wrong? Did I like all of the questions and then got pregnant with my third sort of like spontaneously and was like, "Mm, I'm going to reserve judgment on this one for a little bit. Like, I'm just going to sit back and see what happens. So there was like a real sort of distancing that happened, a real, you know, concern and just like a lot more cautious. And it makes a lot of sense. And then that miscarriage for me wasn't even a traumatic experience. Then go through something I would call traumatic, like what you had gone through and and what you had to face at the 18 weeks and all of that. It's a whole other layer of loss and processing. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirin Areem's psyched mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code rage20. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here 
more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When we go into subsequent pregnancies, then we're equally straddling our existing pregnancy, but being pulled back into our past experience, trying to not, you know, like project that onto it or relive it out. And it's really, it's a really difficult time. Yeah. I mean, I'd listen, I took time between, you know, when I had my second pregnancy loss, I put a few months of grief counseling in because, you know, I had to have a DNC. I needed to give my body a little bit of time to heal physically. But I think that, you know, a common question often is how long do you have to wait to try again after you have a miscarriage? And the answer is there is no true answer. The answer is if you have a DNC or a procedure, it's best to wait a couple months just to let your endometrium heal. If your body takes care of it, though, you can ovulate immediately afterwards. I got pregnant two weeks later the first time. But it's really about letting your mind heal, too, mm-hmm. because pregnancy can be stressful even if things are pretty vanilla and boring. Of course. There is a lot that can happen, but a lot of the time, like, your back hurts. That's stressful. You have sciatica. That's stressful. Most people have some weird thing at some point, like physical discomfort, night peeing, night sweats, like whatever weird symptom. Mm -hmm. And if you're carrying kind of trauma or you're carrying a lot of anxiety related to a past pregnancy into the next one, it's very difficult. And actually, like there's a whole chapter in Fertility Rules about mental health, Mm -hmm. because I believe that it's absolutely critical that you know, both while you're going through an infertility journey into pregnancy that you have support and support can look very different. It can look like working with a therapist. It can look like working out. It can look like taking a bath and reading a book. It can be meditation. It can be cooking, you know? So I think that, again, I reject this idea that there's one right way to deal with loss or to deal with anxiety or to deal with, you know, your particular journey. I think it's really about stepping back And thinking about what feels good to you and what helps you and not comparing yourself to other people not feeling like you have to pursue a specific thing, but really kind of doing the work to say, what helps me feel calm? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so much more than just relax and you'll get pregnant, right? It's like (laughs) really take care of your mental health for you going through this journey. Like it's not like relax. So baby will come. It's like, prioritize yourself throughout the process. Because in many cases, as you said, if it's two to three rounds of IVF and things like we are on more of a marathon here than we are a sprint. And that self-care component is so, so important. And you bring up just relax. And I, I think that for anyone listening who heard that from a loved one, family member, friend, whoever, most of the time, there's no malintent there. It's yeah. so difficult because I heard it from people. And at the time, I wanted to like jump across the table and like knock them over. I was like, you don't even know. Yeah. But you have to remember, like for people who have never gone through it or for people who love you, they're just trying to fill the space. They're trying to fill the space with something that they think could be helpful. And it's very difficult to know what to say to someone who is going through this. And so you know, as with like baby stuff later with well-meaning in-laws or whoever, it's usually not meant with any ill intent. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a real opportunity for us to practice how to communicate with the people in our lives and tell them like, hey, I know you probably didn't mean anything by just relax. It's kind of not helpful to me right now. Here's something that you could help me out with though. Or like, if you want to help, send me funny cat gifts or like send me funny YouTubes or like, you know, chuck me some TikToks, like just whatever feels good to you. But I think that, you know, rather than yelling at someone, it's very helpful to step back and say like, they didn't mean anything, but let me use this as an opportunity to connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is a really common time for like toxic positivity to come up in conversations yeah. where we want to sort of just ease the conversation or try to fix a person's pain. So like these, it must be God's will or God's timing or these things that, like you said, like have no real ill intent and are meant to be helpful, but kind of invalidate how we feel. So yeah, it's common because people, when we're talking about loss and when we're talking about these real kind of human struggles, have a hard time hanging out in our pain with us for a moment. Like it's difficult for people to know what to say, but I agree, like setting that boundary, saying that's not helpful. Could you please just like watch 
Kardashians with me. I don't yeah, know, something, I know. something that's just that you can connect over that feels more comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. You had mentioned, and I know this comes up in our audience a lot, is we have a lot of moms who got pregnant, whether spontaneously or while trying with ease the first time around, and then are really caught off guard then when they go to try for a subsequent baby and are hit with infertility struggles, what seems like out of nowhere. Yeah, secondary infertility is very common, very common. And it happens, so primary infertility happens to first-time parents, people who do not have current children. Secondary infertility happens after you've had at least one live birth. For women, this can manifest as, you know, blockages in the tubes, issues with scarring, especially if you had a C-section. You know, if you had any complications during a prior pregnancy or a prior birth, it can affect your fertility. And it's, you know, something that is very important to manage with your provider. It's why follow-up care after childbirth is so critically important because sometimes you can catch it. Sometimes you will, you know, your provider will be able to say, hey, you know, that was a complicated C-section. Like, let's talk about what subsequent pregnancies might look like. And let's talk Mm. about, you know, what you might expect. There also are, let's face it, when you have zero children and then you have one child, the way that you vote with your time and you spend your time changes a lot. Mm-hmm. You don't have as much time to yourself anymore. You have to make choices like, do I go and exercise or go for a walk? Or do I hang out with my kid? Or can you involve your kid with that? But you know, for many women, for many moms, it's very difficult to carve out the same kind of time that you used to. So like, your body is different after you have a child, no matter what you do. So we also have to acknowledge that there is just this piece of parenting where you have to be kind of upfront with yourself that your body physically has changed. Mm-hmm. So you might have gone into pregnancy the first time being, you know, a certain weight or a certain body composition. And then the second time, your body's probably a little bit different. The same is true of your partner. And it's why it's so critically important that if you're on a journey to having a second or third child, that your partner is on that healthy journey with you. So if you're eating healthier food, do it together. If you're trying to get more activity, do it together. Do it as a family. Go for walks. We went for so many walks with our first and our second. We tried to make activity something we did together. I also, you know, tried my best to carve out time for myself. Didn't always work. But I would, Mm -hmm. you know, bring the baby into the little workout space that we had in the basement, you know, if I had time and let him be on this little mat next to me. And I would, you know, kind of make him part of it. So and there are great mom and me activities. But I think, you know, something that commonly happens with men is some lifestyle factor changes. Maybe they put on weight, you know, maybe they are using THC and CBD, which we know have impacts on sperm parameters. But Mm. the reality of pre-parenting and post-parenting life is our lives are different and our bodies are different. And we probably eat slightly differently too. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm always like very much in a rush or I'm trying to make something that I like, but also I know that my kids will eat because, you know, one eats everything and then one is not particularly, I don't know how he survives. He eats air, but (laughs) you know, it's things change between pregnancies and your life changes a lot, but just know you're not the only one. It's very, very common. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about on threads, the new meta app. I had polled my audience the other day about what they have for dinner and if they eat the same thing as their children. And the overwhelming response from moms was like, well, I eat the scraps off my child's dinner. Yeah. Like the whatever is left over, you know, whether grilled cheese, nuggets, mac and cheese, whatever it is. So it is so much harder to prioritize ourselves, especially in some very like regimented like way. And when we talked about the nutrition piece, if the mindset is that it has to be a crash course and it has to be so rigid and, and regimented, it feels so out of touch versus trying to just add and incorporate, you know, maybe more whole foods into our our day or our routine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Detoxes and cleanses are only valuable if it helps you reset and start on a new path. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to cause any long-term, you know, like if you do that and then you just pick up your old habits again, nothing is actually going to change. doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And for those who are listening, if you're listening, you probably already have a little. So if it is secondary infertility that you might be struggling with, or you're going through another pregnancy and 
want someone to, a narrative to like walk you through and support you along the changes that are happening in your body as you go, check out Bump In and check out Fertility Rules. Where can people find you? Where can they get your books? So I'm on Instagram. I have a website. I'm You can find me at leslieschrock.com. I think I'm just Leslie Schrock on Instagram and TikTok. I'm on threads now too. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Twitter. So, but I, you know, I love hearing from readers and I'm actually working on a second edition of Bumpin' right now. Mm. So if you do have thoughts or questions or something you'd love to see in a future update of the book, that will be coming out next year, which is very exciting. Very exciting. And we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes so people can click through and easily find you. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I had no idea that fertility issues were such a men's health issue as well. I am going to take that away with me into my practice and the conversations that I have with people because women go through so many tests and assessments and stressing and changing their diets and their bodies to try to improve fertility when in so many cases it can be something going on with partner. Experiencing infertility challenges, secondary infertility, or losses and miscarriages along the journey can feel very overwhelming. There are a lot of confusing and conflicting emotions that can come up that in the day-to-day and regular conversations we have with friends and family, we don't really get the chance to think through or process. So if you are still carrying the emotional weight of a loss or feeling that your infertility journey is still sticking with you in a way that provokes a lot of emotion or feels really heavy, I encourage you to book in with one of our mom specialists. Our team serves across Canada and the U.S. and you can book in a free 15-minute consultation to see whether your therapist is a good match. Head to momwell.com to learn more. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I am being joined by Dr. Vanessa LaPointe to discuss how to raise confident kids. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the Momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.